Hi, I'm Hayley. And I'm Fiona. And welcome to What the IVF. Well, today we are discussing the topic of miscarriage. It's a topic a, that's not really discussed very often. It is. It's, it's not, sorry, I should say. It's, it's something that, um, understandably, a lot of women go through in silence. And yet it is something that is... In, traumatic to put it lightly for for women i mean it's it's kind of i guess a little bit like ivf in the sense that women a lot of the time won't really talk about it when they've gone through it unless you actually explain that you're going through it and then they'll say oh you know i I actually did ivf or in terms of miscarriage like i've actually realized recently there's a few of my friends who i had no idea they had had a miscarriage and it's something that They've just held close to them, and I guess suffered through alone, which, which is really sad. And it is, it's oh, it's incredibly sad. And I, but like I said, understandably, it's something that women go through in silence. It, I don't think it's so much because they're ashamed or anything of what's going on. It's probably just because they're. I mean, I obviously I haven't suffered this, and and you haven't suffered no. this either. So neither of us can speak from experience, and I'm just letting people know that so that if we say something that's not correct, please forgive us. But um, I feel like people, women, and I've had friends go through it, It's they've said to me, you know, the reason why I didn't say anything is because it's a, it's just a battle with my body and I'm disappointed that I've – and I feel like I've failed. And so, you know, in their eyes it's just something that they want to go through on their own until they're, I guess, ready to talk about it, if at all. So, But, you know, it is something we wanted to – discuss on what the IVF because it, it affects a lot of women out there and um definitely and I think you guys one of you guys that was one of the the when we said what what do you guys want to want us to talk about someone brought that up so Hayley yeah. did some research I, did. I won't take credit for this one no I, I actually had nothing to do with it I thought this is the journalating into me, the journalating. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did some research. I had a look around. There's, um, there's quite a few uh, people who are looking into what causes miscarriage and, and um, I guess, fertility struggles. But we came across a wonderful gentleman named uh, Professor Sean Brunecki. He heads up the the recurrent miscarriage clinic at the Royal Women's Hospital and at, in Melbourne. Um, and we had a lovely chat with him today. He has explained a lot of things that I, you know, I, it's just, it's such, it's such a big topic. It's just that yeah. there's a lot in this that is important to listen to because, um, you know, like I said before, a lot of women blame themselves and as they'll find out in this in this chat, it's it's not they shouldn't. Yeah. You know, they shouldn't blame themselves and they shouldn't blame their partners. It's unfortunately at this stage just something that happens. Yeah. And that's what this professor is trying to find out why, the big why it happens. But he was kind enough to join us today. He was a wonderful gentleman and we really hope you enjoyed this chat. We went through your questions and we fired them, yeah. fired them at him, and he was happy to answer as many as we could get into our our little window of time. Actually, it was quite a long window of time. He spoke to us for a while. Anyway, tune in, guys. We really hope you enjoy this conversation. It was a um, a privilege to to chat to Professor Sean Brunecki. Well, today we are joined by the wonderful Professor Sean Brunecki, who oversees the Royal Women's Hospital Recurrent Miscarriage Clinic. A very tough conversation to have today, but thank you so much for your time and thank you for joining us. 
My pleasure. Can I ask what got you into specialising in this kind of area? Yes, uh, I, I felt um, that I could contribute uh, usefully to that particular area. Uh, as an obstetrician, we're fortunate to be most of the time dealing with happy events like pregnancy and childbirth, uh, bringing new life into the world. Uh, it's a very uh, rewarding specialty from that point of view. But during my early years in the specialty, I did appreciate that unfortunately not all pregnancies uh, reach the end that the parents would hope for and uh, that there was a need to assist people uh, who are struggling to achieve uh, the pregnancies, the family that they, they wish for. And uh, so I moved into that particular area as one of my interests and uh, have found it uh, a very fulfilling and rewarding uh, experience. How, how long ago did you move into that area? Well, I've been uh, in charge of the recurrent miscarriage clinic at the World Women's Hospital for about 15 years now. And in that time, have you, what have sort of, um, I guess, what studies have been done and, and what have you found in, in those 15 years of the developments in, in miscarriages? Well, there have been uh, a number of important uh, insights that we've gained uh, in the recurrent miscarriage clinic area. Although I'd have to say right at the start that it does remain a particularly frustrating and difficult uh, issue for obviously parents who are suffering from uh, uh, a recurrent miscarriage problem, but also for clinicians who are trying to help them because there is still much to be learnt uh, and much that we need to do to fine tune the best care for women with this sort of problem. Um, how common is miscarriage in pregnancies these days? Well, if you take 100 women who become pregnant, about 25 to 30 of them will suffer uh, a, a known miscarriage. So it's unfortunately wow. a very common problem. And that sort of figure of about 25 to 30% of pregnancies ending in miscarriage is common throughout the world. It's uh, the background rate of miscarriage for the human species. If you look more carefully uh, with very sensitive pregnancy tests, you can actually uh, find that many women can uh, achieve a pregnancy temporarily, even before they've had a period, but then the period comes and uh, the pregnancy is lost. So the reality is that uh, there are probably many more pregnancies that go unrecognized than um, we realize. But overall, in terms of what most people would accept as a clinically recognized pregnancy, the figure is about 25 to 30% for all women during their reproductive uh, lifetime. In terms of recurrent miscarriage, uh, which usually means either two or three miscarriages in a row, um, that is less common. Uh, usually the figure that's quoted is about one in a hundred women will suffer three pregnancy losses in a row. Uh, they're usually in the early months of the pregnancy in the first trimester when, when that happens. So most women in their lifetime, if they have, say, six to eight pregnancies, can expect uh, to have some miscarriages amongst them. Um, the average figure 
is exactly that. It means some women will have more and some women will have less, often through uh, uh, misfortune alone. Is there, um, I know you mentioned it's, it's an area that is still, you're still struggling to sort of find the exact answer to, but it, has there been a common link between uh, any of the, the developments that you've, you've found? Well, we do have a good understanding of why most miscarriages occur. The frustrating thing is that we can't do much about that uh, as a general comment. Uh, the reason most miscarriages occur is not because there's a health problem with either the mother or the father, uh, quite the contrary. Uh, often uh, both parents are perfectly well. Um, the problem is that when the uh, egg and the sperm join up at conception, there is a complicated process that goes on at that time to make sure that the new pregnancy, the new baby, uh, has the right genetic blueprint to grow into a normal human being. What happens is that the egg contains the mother's genetic material and the sperm contains the father's genetic material. And when the egg and the sperm join, uh, there needs to be uh, an accurate uh, production of a genetic blueprint that combines the mother's genetic background and the father's genetic background so that the new individual has the right um, processes in place to grow into a normal human being. Uh, and that is why children uh, will have some characteristics of mother and some of father because they have that combined genetic background. Unfortunately, we know uh, from careful examination of miscarriage tissue that sometimes that uh, genetic blueprint uh, does not form correctly. And as a result, the pregnancy from the moment of conception is designed uh, to miscarry uh, either some days, weeks, or even months into the pregnancy. Uh, in addition, we do know that there are some other factors that can increase the risk of miscarriage, uh, even if the pregnancy has formed normally. Those sorts of factors include uh, abnormalities in the shape uh, of the mother's uterus. Uh, some women are born with an abnormal shape to the uterus. Some develop fibroids or polyps during the course of the lifetime. And those uh, structural abnormalities can make it difficult for the fertilized egg to implant safely in the uterus. And so that can be an increased uh, risk for miscarriage situation. Uh, sometimes uh, also the mother or the father can have themselves a genetic abnormality, a chromosome abnormality that may not affect them in any significant way, but which can nevertheless increase their risks of miscarriage uh, when uh, a pregnancy occurs. And also there's uh, a series of antibodies that can uh, be present in a woman's bloodstream uh, that are thought to damage uh, early pregnancy tissue and make it difficult to grow properly. And uh, that condition is called the antiphospholipid syndrome. And we uh, test for that and, and uh, occasionally find uh, women with that problem, uh, which is the reason for them having an increased rate of miscarriage. So we, we have opportunities when these identified causes are found uh, in the mother, for example, to uh, offer treatments to correct uh, the situation to improve their chances of successful pregnancy. And like, like you've mentioned, you know, you test for them generally when I guess you've got someone who's got recurring miscarriages, but 
it, down the track, is it something to consider perhaps having women or, or you know, test for these kinds of things before going through pre- or before trying to conceive? Is that uh, something that might be considered in the future? If um, you look at the uh, situation of a woman, for example, who has not had any pregnancies at all, and you conducted these tests, um, you would be conducting quite expensive tests uh, on women for the most part who don't need them. And so it wouldn't be good health economics to be offering these tests widely. Um, We tend to confine the testing to those women who have had more than their fair share of miscarriages Uh, In other words, they come under the heading of somebody suffering from recurrent miscarriage, or um, there is certainly flexibility. Uh, Some women find uh, the trauma of one miscarriage too much to bear, and so will come for help even after only one miscarriage, and our clinic certainly accepts those sorts of situations uh, as they arise. What's been the most... um... I guess unique or interesting discovery in your time. Has there been anything that's shocked you that you found in women that are suffering from recurrent miscarriages? Well, there have been many suggested remedies um, to assist with uh, the problem of recurrent miscarriage. And in a funny sort of way, in answering your question, the, 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 answer I would offer you is that we have been able to discover things that do not help in these situations. In other words, when people uh, come up with an idea that uh, therapy A or therapy B might be of assistance, sometimes those therapies can uh, carry uh, side effects. They can uh, also cost money to, to use. So it is important when a suggested therapy is put forward to carefully evaluate it in randomized controlled trials, for example, to ensure that one, it works, and two, that it's safe. Uh, And then uh, if uh, it is both effective and safe, you have to take into account the cost that might be involved in using that therapy. In the various studies that have been done in recent years, we've been able to uh, identify a number of uh, treatments that do not work And so we've been in a position to not offer them to women uh, in the sense that it would not be helpful, it could have side effects, and it certainly would cost money. So um, there is that aspect to the uh, situation that I would stress. Um, People can be quite desperate, understandably, uh, when looking for solutions to this problem of recurrent miscarriage, and they can, in their desperation, reach out for solutions that may not be safe, may not be uh, cost effective. And so it is important uh, to use careful evidence-based medicine in providing the best care in these situations. What we have, uh, on the other hand, found in a positive sense is that if women have the antiphospholipid syndrome, um, where they have antibodies that might be damaging the pregnancy early on, There is good evidence that you can treat that effectively uh, with improved pregnancy outcomes by using a combination of low-dose aspirin and uh, an anticoagulant called heparin or heparin-type drugs. Um, So 
Um, there's a mixture of good news and frustrating news, but overall it's important that we continue to carefully evaluate therapies so that you can offer women uh, safe, effective, and hopefully not too costly treatments to improve the situation. The other um, side of the coin though, is that many women who feel um, upset, anxious, uh, losing self-confidence in their ability to have the family that they would like. And I see that as a major problem in this uh, situation in our clinic. The uh, importance of providing one accurate information, uh, sensible statistics, uh, insight into why the problems is occurring, reassurance often that there is nothing wrong with them and giving them hope uh, that there is light at the end of the tunnel because the majority of couples who suffer from this problem of recurrent miscarriage will have the children that they would like to have in the fullness of time if uh, they are patient, if they're persistent, if they're resilient, um, they will get there. It, I guess you mentioned the remedies and things that people will try, I, I guess, coming from, I mean, you can't go through the, obviously a whole list of them, but are there, is there a common one that, that women come in and say, I'm trying this, I'm trying that, and it's not working, you know, um, and that you look at them and think you shouldn't be trying them at all, that in fact they're doing you a disadvantage? Well, it depends on the individual circumstances of the woman. Um, for example, uh, some... Uh, situations come up where with all the testing that's done, there are no abnormalities found. And in that situation, there's no great value in trying different remedies, um, particularly if they are costly and sometimes carry potential side effects. Um, on the other hand, if uh, you do identify certain abnormalities in the testing that you do, such as the antiphospholipid syndrome, or for example, if you discover a woman might have uh, diabetes that she didn't realize she had, or that she has celiac disease, uh, which is another uh, problem that we test for. Under those circumstances, there are established treatments that you can offer to optimize the chances of successful pregnancies. So it's horses for courses, individualizing the care, but overall the underlying uh, therapeutic uh, offering is reassurance, hope, self-confidence that uh, a pregnancy can be successful and that the family that the woman wants is feasible. You mentioned hope and hope is something that obviously a lot of women uh, desperately want in these or desperately need and need to have in these circumstances as they try for a family. Um, I guess Looking in your time, in your career, what could you tell us maybe a story, a case study that may uh, reflect or give people some hope that there is light at the end of the tunnel, I should say? Sure. Um, so I, I think you can look at a perhaps a, a composite um, example of the typical sort of person that might come to our clinic. Um, so it's often uh, a woman who might be in her late 30s or early 40s. Um, she may have devoted her time to a professional career um, in the um, young adult years. And having established her career, she may now be deciding that she would like a family. Um, she will have heard from friends and uh, 
colleagues that uh, if a woman's approaching 40, then um, she's about to fall off a reproductive cliff, so to speak, <laughs> and that um, she better hurry up and have her family, otherwise she'll have uh, fertility difficulties, um, let alone miscarriage difficulties. Um, and uh, having tried um, and found herself pregnant, she suddenly then is pleased at that outcome, but a few weeks later she starts bleeding and has a miscarriage. And understandably, she's devastated um, at the um, fact that her plans have not gone accordingly as she might have wished. Um, and if that uh, happens twice, let alone thrice, um, the panic button is hit and it is time to seek uh, help from a medical professional in terms of dealing with that situation. So um, in our clinic, we would uh, carefully take uh, history to make sure there's no other health issues. I've mentioned diabetes, for example, uh, celiac disease. These can be what we call comorbidities that uh, can increase your risk of miscarriage if they're not carefully managed. But more often than not, the woman's healthy. Uh, there's no particular family history um, and there's no background concerns in terms of why she should be having this problem. So we run our battery of tests and uh, we are always, always keen to have the partner involved um, because the partner is an in, important part of this uh, process of um, dealing with the problem. and. Uh, we like to also make sure that the partner has questions answered um, that they may uh, want to put uh, in this situation. And uh, given the support of the partner is an incredibly important part of the care that um, the woman who's aiming for a pregnancy needs, um, we want to reassure uh, the partner as to how best um, the partner might be able to do that. Um, having run the tests, um, in about 60% of cases in our clinic, uh, the tests are all completely normal. So we can reassure the woman concerned that um, given she's healthy and that the tests are normal, she has as good a chance as any other woman of her age of achieving a successful pregnancy. And then in due course, when uh, she becomes pregnant, we invite her back to the clinic to carefully monitor the early months of the pregnancy so that we can give her feedback and reassurance that things are hopefully progressing as they should. The uh, woman will often ask about uh, lifestyle matters uh, that might influence her capacity to hold on to a pregnancy, um, such matters as uh, tobacco use. We would recommend strongly that uh, women not smoke in association with their planning for a pregnancy and then during a pregnancy. Um, Caffeine, interestingly, has um, a role to play, uh, particularly if people are uh, taking uh, high amounts of caffeine uh, through strong coffees or energy drinks um, during the course of uh, an early pregnancy. So we aim to minimize caffeine intake. Uh, we want everyone to be aware that uh, it's important to take the folate uh, or folic acid supplements as they prepare for a pregnancy, because although they don't directly prevent a miscarriage, they certainly optimize the development of the fetus so that the baby is uh, more likely to have normal organ 
uh, development and formation. Um, women often ask about exercise and uh, whether that should be stopped or whether they should rest in bed when they're in the early months of a pregnancy. So the response there is usually that if uh, a woman is used to a certain level of exercise, it's quite reasonable to continue with that exercise uh, when she's pregnant. Um, exercise in itself is not associated with an increased risk of miscarriage in the normal course of events. So um, with that sort of background, um, we, we encourage the woman uh, to have uh, self-confidence in her capacity to achieve what she wants to achieve in terms of the family. And uh, we offer them support as they go through, particularly the early months of the pregnancy, given that most miscarriages occur in the first trimester. And if a woman has a successful negotiation of the first trimester, uh, by the time she's about 13 or 14 weeks of pregnancy with all the tests that um, would normally be done at that time being normal, she can be reassured that her chances of miscarriage thereafter are very small. Not zero, unfortunately, but, but very small. And so she can graduate, uh, as we call it from our clinic, onto standard pregnancy care, either with her own obstetrician, her midwife, or a uh, um, particular hospital that she's aiming to uh, give birth in. It's it's uh it's uh, I think that's that answer is going to give a lot of women hope. You've covered just about every que- every base that I think most women would be thinking of. You know whether yeah. I'm too old, whether you the know exercise factor is obviously one. That yeah, comes exercise up a lot. was a huge one, especially when we were trying. Fiona was concerned about um, yeah. whether she could continue exercising or not. We put a call out to our our I guess community to send through some questions. Would it be okay if we ask yes. those questions to you? Please, please. Um, we've got one here. Um, does blood group, blood type have anything to do with miscarriage? One of our um, followers has said that she is O negative and has reoccurring losses, but her elder sister isn't A positive and no losses at all. So um, that's a commonly asked question and a, a very sensible question in many ways. Um, in, 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 in actual fact, the good answer is that uh, being uh, rhesus negative or having a negative blood group uh, does not uh, influence early pregnancy losses. Um, the negative blood group can be an issue later on in some women's pregnancies, um, but uh, these days standard uh, pregnancy care um, looks for and deals with that problem very successfully. So I would reassure your um, audience member there that uh, the blood group that she has is not an issue with respect to early pregnancy losses. Another one that we've had is, is progesterone recommended for recurring miscarriages? Yes. Well, that's another interesting question. Um, <laughs> let me say that um, uh, our clinic at the Royal Women's Hospital was uh, founded in 1958, so um, about 60 or so years ago. And one of the first studies that uh, the clinic did uh, all those years ago was identify that women who are miscarrying have low levels or decreasing levels of progesterone. Um, and that was a, a, a very important and unique um, finding at the time. Um, but it's been a, a very complicated story thereafter. Uh, basically, progesterone um, uh, and the word itself means a hormone that supports pregnancy, progesterone. So progesterone is a very important hormone that is secreted um, 
usually initially by uh, the ovary and then by the placenta uh, to help support uh, a pregnancy. Uh, the progesterone changes many uh, aspects of a woman's body to make it more supportive of a pregnancy. For example, the uh, progesterone helps the uterus to relax. Uh, the progesterone nourishes the, the lining of the womb uh, where the uh, fertilized egg will implant so that it has a, a richer soil, if you like, for the seed to grow. So progesterone is undoubtedly a very important hormone for helping support pregnancies. However, the story is a bit complicated in the sense that although progesterone levels do fall in association with miscarriage, that fall in progesterone is uh, more often than not, in the vast majority of cases, a consequence of the miscarriage. It's not a cause of the miscarriage. So the pregnancy, when it forms, um, produces a hormone, the pregnancy hormone called beta-HCG, which is what you test for when you have a pregnancy test. Beta-HCG made by the pregnancy really from the moment of conception um, stimulates the ovary uh, to produce lots of progesterone so that the progesterone creates the right environment. So it's a very clever uh, little fetus, uh, even when it's only a few cells in size, it's already directing the mother's body to make the right environment for it to settle in and grow safely. Um, we think children look uh, uh, as though they run the show uh, when they're born, um, but I promise you they start running the show even uh, that early on in pregnancy. Wow, gosh. Um, if a pregnancy hasn't formed correctly, if there are these chromosomal abnormalities that I spoke about, uh, the pregnancy will not produce the same level of beta-HCG hormone, so that the pregnancy signal is reduced. And that means that the signal to the ovary to produce progesterone is reduced, and so the level of progesterone starts to fall from what it should be. So that's why I say uh, falling progesterones are a consequence of miscarriage, not a cause of miscarriage. Now, scientists and clinicians over the years have said, well, uh, the, the picture needs to be clarified. So let's um, give progesterone as a treatment and see if that uh, supports and helps pregnancies from miscarrying. There have been uh, a number of uh, large studies that have looked at uh, whether or not progesterone does prevent miscarriage. Uh, these studies have been randomized controlled trials, the gold standard sort of study uh, done in reputable centers uh, with uh, many hundreds of women involved in the studies. And the basic theme of the study is that uh, half the women who participate in the study get progesterone and the other half do not. Um, they get a placebo. And then at the end of the study, uh, you count up the number of successful pregnancies in the progesterone group and the number of successful pregnancies in the placebo group. And unfortunately, uh, there has been no improvement in pregnancy outcomes in terms of live birth uh, in the progesterone treated group. So although I accept that progesterone treatment is commonly offered, um, the actual reliable gold standard quality studies that have been done have yet to prove that uh, progesterone therapy is an effective treatment for most cases of recurrent miscarriage. I accept that there would be some women who, for example, have uh, lost their ovaries through surgical requirements, 
who need progesterone support uh, in association, for example, with some cases of IVF. But in general terms, um, progesterone hasn't yet been uh, demonstrated to achieve what people would have liked it to have achieved. And that is because, as I say, in the vast majority of cases, uh, progesterone falls are a consequence of uh, the miscarriage, not a cause of the miscarriage. You mentioned earlier that the it's really about the blueprint, getting the right blueprint between the egg and the sperm. Is there, one of the questions was, is there anything I can help to do is there anything I can do to help implantation? And I, I obviously this would be different per person, but is there a common, um, I guess, uh, assistance that that could or a method that women could take or um, do to perhaps help the implantation? So, um, if a woman has a normal menstrual cycle um, and she uh, falls pregnant fairly easily, and, and by that I mean if you take uh, 100 women aiming to get pregnant, um, 85 out of the 100 will be pregnant within 12 months and 50 out of the 100 will be pregnant within six months. So if they fall pregnant within that sort of natural time frame and they're having normal periods, um, then uh, at this point in time with uh, current research, there isn't any uh, particular treatment that would be recommended to reliably improve the soil, so to speak, uh, to th that's the lining of the uterus where the uh, pregnancy is to implant. There is certainly active research um, here in Melbourne and elsewhere, uh, looking at whether there are factors in the lining of the room in the endometrium that would um, uh, be amenable to uh, treatments that would improve the, the prospect for successful implantation. But at the end of the day, if the genetic blueprint uh, of the conceptus, um, uh, which is formed even before the baby or the fetus or the, the pregnancy gets to the stage of implanting uh, in the lining of the uterus, if, if that genetic blueprint is abnormal, then uh, more often than not, the reality is that pregnancy will miscarry no matter how rich the soil is into which the seed is implanting. I'm, I'm not actually sure what D and C means. Sure. Um, so D and C, uh, uh, doctors are, are terrible when it comes to abbreviations. Um, so <laughs> D and C is a classic, um, and that stands for dilatation and curatage, which is the operation that um, is often uh, needed or recommended uh, for when women do have a miscarriage. Often when uh, a miscarriage occurs, not all the pregnancy tissue um, is lost uh, at the time of the miscarriage. And sometimes there can be remnant uh, pregnancy tissue still left inside the uterus. And uh, in that case, uh, there can be ongoing bleeding, ongoing pain, potentially infection. So doctors might well recommend a, uh, a small operation where a spoon-like structure uh, called a curette is placed inside the uterus and the tissue is gently scraped away from the lining of the uterus so that the uterus can be uh, satisfactorily emptied of pregnancy tissue, um, allowing the uh, uterus to heal again and the woman to get back to uh, normal menstrual periods and uh, the potential for successful pregnancies in the future. What's the um, recovery like for that? How long does it take for that woman to then start 
ovulating and again against to try falling and being able to try the uh, operation itself is uh, a short one it's usually a day case procedure and the woman might be requiring uh, the operation under an anesthetic for perhaps 10 to 15 minutes uh, that will be the normal course of events and then she'd likely go home later the same day or perhaps the next day depending on the time of the day when she actually had the procedure then in t depending on uh, how far along uh, a woman was when she miscarried uh, the uh, return of normal menstrual cycles and uh, therefore fertility could be um, somewhere between six to six weeks to 12 weeks. So um, if you have a very early miscarriage, your body is likely to recover more quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if you were say 12 or 13 weeks when the miscarriage occurred, that might take uh, the longer period, say up to two or three months before the menstrual cycle uh, resumed normally. Uh, another question we had is, does having factor five blood clotting interfere with falling pregnant? Sure. So uh, again, one of the studies that um, has been done in recent times was to look at um, a type of problem uh, called uh, um, inherited or genetic thrombophilias. Um, uh, this is um, a health problem that uh, some women have whereby they were born with uh, a tendency for their blood to clot more easily than usual. Um, in our blood, we have factors that help keep the blood fluid so that it flows around our body easily. But then if we cut ourselves um, to prevent us bleeding heavily, uh, the body has other factors that help the blood clot. So there's a balance between the factors that keep the blood thin and the factors that keep the blood able to clot easily. Some women are born with uh, a tendency for the blood to clot more easily. Um, factor five laden is a, a fancy medical name for one of those problems. Um, we have uh, here at the hospital uh, studied uh, that situation carefully. And what we've found is that factor five laden and other types of inherited thrombophilias, uh, that is uh, factors that help thicken the blood and make it more easily uh, clot. Uh, we found that those factors um, do not increase the risk of miscarriage itself. However, they are important to know about because they can complicate things later in uh, an otherwise successful pregnancy. Um, pregnancy itself is a situation where women are more uh, at risk of blood clots in their uh, leg veins in particular, the deep vein thrombosis. Um, that can, uh, on occasions, produce uh, a much more serious problem with pulmonary embolus. And so uh, as obstetricians, we're always concerned about the possibility of women having clots uh, during pregnancy. If they have an inherited thrombophilia identified, um, say, as part of a screen for miscarriage, even though we now think that it's not likely to increase the risk of miscarriage, we do know it does carry a risk for later on in pregnancy. So it's important to know about those possibilities. But in terms of the particular question, no, we don't think factor five laden is uh, relevant to uh, first trimester miscarriage, given our current knowledge of that uh, type of problem. Just going back to what we've spoken about previously, but I was wondering if, if a woman has suffered a miscarriage, what is the likelihood for her to end up having recurrent, in, like in comparison to someone just having one miscarriage in comparison to having multiple, like what is the difference in numbers? Like if you've had one, 
what's the are you just unlucky yes. or are you, is if you had one is it are you then prone to having more yeah yes um so there, there's um some uh careful consideration that needs to be given to that uh scenario that you've talked about there um if you take for example women that have had uh three miscarriages in a row that's about one percent of the population and uh, you'll find some medical reports that say those that have had three miscarriages in a row are destined to have an increased rate of miscarriage ever after. However, I think that is um, a simplification that you need to um, put to one side because when we investigate women that have had uh, three miscarriages in a row, they fall into two groups. One group has completely normal results, and that's the majority, and the other, uh, say 40%, will have uh, identified abnormalities that might uh, contribute to their risk of miscarriage. If you look at the uh, group, the 60%, the majority that have completely normal results, they do not have an increased risk of miscarriage going forward above and beyond the average risk that all women of their age might have. So that's the good news. It's much better to be in that group uh, in terms of your long-term chances of successful children than to be in the other group, which uh, involves uh, some degree of abnormality that's contributing to miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, people often say, well, um, it's frustrating to be in the majority group because you, you've told us there is no abnormality that is uh, identified with us. Um, wouldn't it be better to have an identified abnormality? Then we could do something about it. Well, in actual fact, um, if you look at the outcomes, it's better to be in the majority group with no abnormalities because they have a better prognosis, as we say, in the long run in terms of successful pregnancies. The group that have an abnormality, yes, you can offer them treatment. You can offer them, say, heparin and uh, low-dose aspirin for the antiphospholipid syndrome, or you can change diet if somebody's got celiac disease and so on and so forth. Um, but not always are those treatments 100% effective and they sometimes carry side effects. So uh, there is a, a limitation on how uh, successful those treatments will be uh, compared to the other group. So uh, I think uh, I'd always be, if a woman, uh, particularly if, for example, she's had a successful pregnancy in the past, perhaps her first pregnancy went to full term, she had a healthy baby, but then she's had three miscarriages since then, um, if she has completely normal results, if she's fertile and falling pregnancy, falling pregnant relatively easily, and she's got a successful pregnancy in the past, um, she has a very good chance of carrying a successful pregnancy to term in the next uh, few years. There's no doubt about that. So I'd always be reassuring and, and, and optimistic for, for women in that category. In the category that have abnormalities, I remain positive and optimistic because there are treatments we can offer that more often than not will actually uh, achieve the, the end that's desired, a successful pregnancy. You're certainly helping a lot of women out there start families. You know, I kind of, how many women would you probably see throughout a year? I imagine it would be hundreds and close to maybe a thousand or so. <laughs> So our clinic, uh, we have a clinic that runs each week, and uh, I would say probably we see six to seven new patients each week. And then we also see the follow-ups who are coming back for their results, and then the women that are undergoing our surveillance for early pregnancy reassurance about how the pregnancy is going. So it's a busy clinic. Uh, I'm, I'm 
blessed to have um, some excellent colleagues that uh, share the clinic with me. Um, and uh, it, it's busy, but, but as I say, very satisfying because more often than not, uh, we're able to help uh, the couples concerned achieve their dreams. It's certainly reassuring to know that, that women have someone like yourself on our side trying to help us all start families. And um, I know a lot of our listeners will thoroughly uh, enjoy listening to this podcast because it's a lot of it's one of those things that miscarriage is something that's not really often talked about because it yeah. is a heartbreaking situation. But um, you know, to to listen to you and and the research you've done and, and the advice that you've given, I'm sure that they were willing, you know, ap- appreciate your time and and your knowledge on what is a really tough conversation. Well, thank you. It's always been a, a- pleasure and a privilege to help couples in this situation and I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to be doing that. Wow, he is amazing. He's got a lot of knowledge and I'm so glad we got to hear some of it today. It's, uh, it's such a, there's so much that you just don't realise um, that goes into these studies that they do on uh, specialties like this. Um, Definitely. And the work they're doing, I mean... I feel like it's just I feel like I'm I'm so glad that we've got someone like as I mentioned I'm so glad we've got someone like Professor Brenecki on our side investigating Definitely. this. I mean if I was to go to a doctor he's probably would be a top pick. He's just a lovely lovely gentleman but also incredibly insightful. Insightful in that whole area. And you can tell he's he works in a well, he, he's, he's got a lot of em- – you can see he's got a lot of empathy in him. He, he obviously deals with uh, tough situations. Um, that's his specialty is dealing with tough situations. Very so tough. One of the toughest situations, um, I would say. But he – yeah, he's an incredible man and we're so grateful to have had, had the opportunity to speak to him and we really hope you all found it as informative as we did and we'll catch you next week for what is our last episode of this season. So we look forward to catching you then. Thanks for tuning in, guys. 